Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. It will be where the majority of our text will come from this morning. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. just wanted to take a minute and add my welcome to you all. Thank you all for being here. Appreciate each and every one being here this morning to worship God on this first day of the week. Um, just a couple of notes about our gospel meeting that concluded last week. Um, I hope you all were edified by the efforts that were put into that, um, and with the Fish Festival the weekend before as well. There was a lot of things that went on, getting ready for that, uh, preparations and things that were, that were done. A lot of people participated in that, so uh, thank you all for the work that went into that. And I hope that you were edified by the lessons that were brought on discipleship from our brothers. Uh, good lessons all, I think. And so I hope that that will be an encouragement to you as you think about your role in the kingdom, about discipleship, making other disciples. One other thing, before we start the lesson this morning, our sister Nellie wanted me to um, make mention of something. She wanted to pass along her thanks uh, to all those who have reached out to her and Hank and, and aided them. Uh, first of all, it, it's good to see uh, Nellie walk into this building. Um, it's pretty amazing, actually, to see her walk into this building after all she's been through. You're an encouragement to us, sister, and we thank you very much for your uh, continued uh, service to God. It's very encouraging to us. But she wanted me to thank you all, um, and she wanted to publicly uh, thank her good husband, Hank, who has been at her side through it all. Um, and I concur. Hank's a good man. And she also wanted to thank her God for getting her through this and allowing her uh, to, to be a better portion of health. And that is the most uh, encouraging thing of all. Thank you, sister, for that. This morning I wanted to talk to the group here about something that is not very pleasant. And that is the matter of sin. You know, sin is a terrible thing. Sin can wreck homes and lives. It gets people into all kinds of trouble. It leaves them empty with no real purpose in life. The most terrible of all is that it separates us from God. There is no worse condition than to be alone in the world with no relationship with the Heavenly Father. Man has been dealing with sin since his, the beginning of his existence. It's been around a long time. We mentioned that in class this morning. It's been here since the beginning and continues to be here. It is a condition that we all have to struggle with. But thankfully, God has provided a way that we may overcome sin. And there is only one way that that can be accomplished. And that is through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through that blood, through that sacrifice, God has provided a way that we can overcome sin. But there is no other remedy. There is no other way that we can overcome sin except through Jesus Christ. Without this, we have no hope of entering into the kingdom of God. 
here in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul makes it clear that we have been redeemed through baptism and that we have been sanctified, that we have been set apart. What's important in this passage and what's important for us to understand is that we were all once in that terrible condition of sin. We were lost in the world, aimlessly wandering without a true purpose. A purpose for which we were made. And that is to serve God. Those of us who have put on Christ enjoy the benefits of being a citizen in the kingdom. But as citizens, we cannot forget from where we came. If you're there in 1 Corinthians, read with me, beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? But do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. That list there. This is a partial list of the behavior, behaviors that can keep us out of the kingdom of God. Yes, a partial list. It would be a mistake to look at this, pull this out of context and say, well, you know, I'm not a drunkard, I'm not a swindler, I'm not covetous, I'm not an adulterer, so I'm okay. Understand that any sin separates us from God. This list here is just a partial list. There's other places that tell us other sins along with these that keep us out of the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to look very carefully at that list. Included in there are adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals. Our society has watered down the sexual relationships, the improper sexual relationships in this world. They say that homosexuality is a lifestyle, and if someone wants to lead that, that should be okay. But surely that's not a sin. Surely God would not want them to be separated from the kingdom. The scriptures tell us otherwise. The scriptures say that these kinds of behaviors, the people who engage in these, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The language is very clear and very simple and very powerful. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, that Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from, you, from him so that he does not hear. What a terrible condition that is. That the creator, Jehovah, does not listen to the sinful. Your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. Yes, you can pray to him. But your sins make it so that he does not hear. It doesn't discount the fact that you can repent and be saved from your sins. 
But think about that condition of being separated from your God because of sin. Look over in Galatians 5 for just a moment. Galatians chapter 5. You know, I mentioned that this was a partial list here in 1 Corinthians 6. There's some other things listed here in Galatians 5, some that are similar, but other things that keep us out of the kingdom. Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 19. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcerer, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, very clear. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice there he said things like these. As I said that it's dangerous to look at these lists and check off the ones that you're not and think you're okay. Sin separates us from God. These behaviors and behaviors like these will prevent us from entering into the kingdom. And while it's important not to forget from where we came, we must not dwell on it. Paul says in Philippians 3, beginning verse 13, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, the prize of the upper call of God in Jesus Christ. We can't forget from where we came, because there's some important lessons we're going to talk about in just a moment. But we can't let that keep us from where we are going. We must never let where we came from prevent us from reaching that goal that's out ahead of us. The upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the goal. And that needs to be our attitude as well. The reason for a healthy perspective on where it is that we came from is so that we can be kind to those of us around us. Back in 1 Corinthians 6. We left off at the end of verse 10. Look what it says here at the very beginning of verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. That list there that he gave, the terrible behaviors of people who were engaging in, what does he tell the Corinthians? Such were some of you. Paul reminds those at Corinth, at Corinth that they were guilty of these sins that he has listed. If you look over in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 2, here again convicting them of sin. It says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to dumb idols, however you were led. Look also over in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul convicted the Ephesians here of the lives that they formerly led, and he included in that, we. We don't have to look very far to see what kind of people we were before we came out of the world. We lived indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We're guilty of this, aren't we? Same thing that Paul is convicting the Ephesians of, we're guilty of that, indulging in the, the flesh and of the mind. Before coming to Christ, we all lived a life outside of, of God and his will for us. You're either for God or you're against him. There's no in-between. So that's why it's important to remember those words, such were some of you. Before we turn our nose up at those in the world, those who have yet to come out of the world, or we turn our nose up to a brother or sister who has stumbled, we would do well to say those words to ourselves. Such were some of you. Do you think you're any different than anyone else? Do you think your struggles are greater or that you have overcome more? We're all flesh and blood. We're all human. We all come from the same creator. Created in his image. And we're all subject to the same problems of this life. We're all tempted by sin. It's how we deal with that that shows how we want to live our lives, ultimately. Either to be of the world or to be pleasing to God. Understanding that. Understanding that we're all from the same creator, all suffer the same struggles in life. This should guide our actions when it comes to how we deal with each other how we deal with those around us. If a brother has sinned, we have a responsibility to that brother. Over in Galatians 6, Paul makes this very clear. Look there with me in Galatians 6. We have a responsibility when our brother or sister stumbles. In Galatians 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load." It's simply our duty to do this. It's simply our duty to restore such a one when they have stumbled, when they have fallen. And it's not something to brag about. Paul speaks often of boasting. And there's a proper way to boast. 
and that is to boast in the Lord. Boasting of our own is pride. And it's spoken very harshly against in Scripture. Putting self above others, putting self above God. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about doing this because it's our duty. It's our duty to our brothers and sisters to restore them when they have fallen. When it comes to those in the world, remember that we too were once in the world. Like the Gentiles were before Jesus. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. Probably just turn the page there. Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11. Paul says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, he's talking about Gentiles and Jews here, specifically, by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by the flesh, performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When it comes to those in the world, we need to take this to heart and understand that the Gentiles were once separate from Christ. We're once separate from God and all the promises of salvation that were there. Jesus Christ brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. And the Gentiles were made available to salvation. Those in the world still have opportunity for salvation. We have opportunity for salvation, and those in the world have opportunity for salvation because of what Jesus Christ did. when we think about those in the world, remember we were once there. Remembering that, that should give us the confidence in where it is that we're going. If you're there still in Ephesians 2, read with me beginning in verse 4. We left off a minute ago in verse 3, talking about those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Look what he says now in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Think about what has just been said there. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. Our trespasses had separated us from God. But what did God do? Rich in his mercy, because of his great love, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. We have opportunity for life. Not of our own, but through the grace of God in sending Christ Jesus. Because of the love which God had for us, he has given us a way in which we can enter the kingdom. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6. 
God has done this for us. Here we are in that former state, walking in darkness. Remember there in 1 Corinthians 6 11, such were some of you. But look what he says after that. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. What has happened? cleansing blood of our Lord has saved us from sin. Even all the sins listed here in other places can be overcome by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing blessing? Does it not humble you to think that God sent His only begotten Son, came down out of heaven, came to this earth, lived going from town to town in his ministry. He even said he didn't have a place to lay his head. He was put to death at the hands of men. And God raised him up on that third day. And why did all this take place? To save us from our sins. We started off saying that there was only one way that we can be saved from our sins, and that's through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the only way. God has set that up. God has determined that. That this is the way he is going to save his erring children. Through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are abiding in God, we ought to have the confidence that we are doing what he wants us to do. This is the plan that he has set forth, and he wants us to abide in him. Look over in 1 John 4. Our scripture reading came from this a moment ago. <clears throat> I want to look at it a little bit more. 1 John chapter 4, beginning verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit, and we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed that love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God for whom he has seen. 
And this commandment which we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Brethren, if we love God, we've got to love our brethren. They go hand in hand. If we say we love God and hate our brother, we don't really love God. And that love perfects us. It says if we abide in God, that he abides in us. And we have the confidence to stand before him in the day of judgment. This passage sums up what we've been talking about. Recognizing who Jesus Christ is, the only begotten Son of the Father. And that he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is not one we use every day, is it? It's not really in our everyday vocabulary. Propitiation means a turning away of wrath. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. What we earn through our sin is death. But what saves us from that? The free gift of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the turning away of that wrath so that we don't have to suffer God's wrath because we have earned death through our sin. We demonstrate our love for God by loving those around us, our brethren and our neighbors. Remembering that we are all susceptible to sin. Such were some of you. But love is perfected in us if we abide in God. And that gives us the confidence in the day of judgment. To have no fear if we are truly doing the will of God. Love is perfected in us. Verse 17 there. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We love our brethren in this world. And in so doing, we perfect God's love. Because that's what he wants us to do. Love God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we're doing that, we're abiding in God. And we're perfected in love. And we have that confidence to stand before our Creator. Are you confident in what you're doing? Are you abiding in God? Do you remember that you were once lost in the world? You were once lost in sin? Does that make your heart tender for those who are still lost in this world? For those that are still in that condition? Those who do not know God are lost in this world. But there is hope. Through God's grace, manifested in his son, Jesus Christ, all have the opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. If you are not a child of God, I implore you to become one so that you can benefit from the citizenry of the kingdom, that you can be embraced by your brothers and sisters in Christ as a part of the kingdom of God. 
I implore you to do that. If you're a child of God and you have stumbled, we have an obligation to you. Let us help you. Let us help you in your transgression. To lift you up and encourage you. It is our duty as your brother, as your sister. If you have stumbled. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.